Hi, I'm about to turn this refugee ship to Bowanda into a booze cruise. Dalen. And I am a very confused nobleman because who is this guy? Who's this guy playing all these mind games? Eric. And welcome to Loyal's Book Club, a podcast dedicated to dissecting and discussing Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. But before we get into the chapters today, 41 to 50, we're going to take a little trip behind the bar. Yeah, so follow us outside of the book club room and behind the bar where we have your cocktail of the evening, the ever so classic, the ever so simple rum and coke. Yeah, nothing to, uh, nothing to stress about with rum and cokes. I feel like the general less is more, I think, with the darker liquors, because I think those can be a little bit harder for your body to break down, mm-hmm. so... Uh, not much to say about rum and cokes, though. Interestingly enough, I found out they were invented in Cuba. Uh, really gained popularity in the late 1900s, uh, late 1800s, uh, after the Cuba Cuban War of Independence. So, as the story goes, by the uh, like one of the chairs of Bacardi, when he was 14 years old in August of 1900, he watched the first rum and coke get made in a bar in Cuba. Now, and he had a sworn affidavit, like, signed, like, saying, nope, I was there, I I proved it. So, uh, because American soldiers helped out in the Cuban War of Independence, so there was a lot of Coca-Cola there, and so the rum and coke became very popular, and it's still very popular. Um, there's two editions, the rum and coke, which is just rum and coke, or you could do the Cuba Libre, which is the rum and coke with a little splash of lime. Yep. You know, typically with a lime wedge, typically with a little bit of lime juice, exactly what he said. Uh, if you're savvy with your languages, you probably know this. And if you are not, we're going to give it to you. The Cuba Libre literally translates into free Cuba. Yeah. Uh, very much tying into the history that Dalen just put out there. And um, yeah, this is, you know, very much a title explains the drink. Last week we did the gin and tonic. Yeah. This week we're doing the rum and coke. Uh, we're just kind of breezing through what you probably had in college. And <laughs> this one is actually, I, in my opinion, a little easier than the gin and tonic. Because with the tonic, you got some more complex flavors, a bit more yeah. bitterness. But here you've got the sugars of the coke. you got the spices of the rum and, you know, the, the citric acid of the lime. Uh, really playing nicely together. And, uh, you know, you have many different types of rum. Uh, I'm vamping as I look through my old, old bar book. Yeah, whiskey soda, rum and coke, or kind of vodka, crayon, are kind of the very bare college cocktails, I think. Ah, here we are. Uh, the only note I have in my <laughs> old archaic... Uh, <laughs> Uh, bar book is uh, rum is made with sugar cane. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you've got clear rum, you've got blended rum, and you've got dark rum. Yeah. And a lot of your island drinks are going to have at least two, sometimes all three playing together. The most famous is a Mai Tai that has, you know, the ever so famous Myers rum float mm-hmm. on top. But typically, when you're looking at a dark rum or a blended rum, you're getting a lot of spices. You're getting a lot of a, you know, a complex flavor profile. A lot of the common ingredients you're going to find are clove spice, cassia bark, and it's typically finished with a double-charred blackened oak 
barrel for taste. Ooh, uh, fancy. These, yeah, and these specifically are uh, the spices that are predominantly in Captain Morgan, which is what we are drinking tonight. I kind of, I sense, I got the ESP. Get, get, get the ASMR in there. Very nice. Uh, and we chose Captain Morgan because this is a name brand that you can recognize. It's also very reasonably priced yeah. because rum can get very exotic very fast, um, both in terms of what we have available here in America and, if you are so savvy enough to do it, uh, what you can get locally in places like the Caribbean or south right. of us and bring it back. Um, so it's a very rich world. But tonight for book club, we are paring it down because we've got a lot of chapters to cover. Yes. Uh, and very much like the drink we're doing, this set of chapters is very simplistic when you look at it because essentially it's a huge battle. Yeah. But it's got a lot of complex flavors yeah. that are working beneath the f- surface. <laughs> and you know who could really use this rum and coke I mean, as I, we start off this chapter? I'm, I'm going to guess Rand. Rand. <laughs> My God. So we begin with the cra- chapter 41, The Craft of Kin Tovir. Uh, chapter's icon is the Kyrian Sun. So... Rand, this set of chapters where we focus on Rand, we're starting to see his mental decline. I mean, it's really been kicked into high gear, you know? Yes, Um, So it starts off, he's um, looking, he's standing on a hill, he sees the Shadowar surrounding Kyrian. Um, In the city proper, there's, half the buildings have the tier and flags on there, and the other half has the dragon banner. And there are three camps on the side of the Dragon Reborn. 800 Tyrans, half of them are Defenders of the Stone. 900 Kyrians, and then infantry, mostly Kyrian and farmers and non-soldiers. That makes up 1,700 of the army. And that's one thing I did want to point on before we move too far from it, because I don't know if we've actually gotten the numbers kind of broken down in this book leading up to this, but this was the moment where I kind of took a step back and went, oh, shit. We got a lot of people here. Yeah. When my mind started to actually conceptualize how many people that was. Because you don't think about it until you're like, yeah, there's like 300,000 Shido. And you're like, what? <laughs> That's a mamma mia. That's a lot of Shido in one place. Um, and then we find out that uh, Lord Wiramon brought them all the day before. Do you trust Lord Wiramon? No. God, no. No? Okay. Not, not even a little bit. No, he's... At, at this point, like... And I'm, I'm, I guess, at this chapter, maybe a little bit, at the mm-hmm. end of this section that we're covering today and kind of this close to the Lord of Chaos and what we're going to get into, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I, trust anybody. I think it's safe to say if he's a Tyrion Lord, not to trust him. Yes. But we learn about uh, there's Ileana pirates off the coast of Tyr. I put in the, my notes, Samael. Yeah, and you know what? Um, it, it's, it's funny because... I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out for this episode how much future knowledge I want to bring into these chapters. You know, I'm going to limit it. I'm going to limit it. Yeah. Because I think from our last episode, I kind of wrote off all of the other uh, Forsaken for a second mm. and kind of went, no, we're focusing on Mogedian and I think Asmodian. I think those yeah. are going to be our top players. Uh, so that's where I'm going to go from at least right here. Okay. Samuel, no, he's, he's not in the picture whatsoever <laughs> yeah. at this point. And as a little throwaway detail, we learned the name of the King of Ilion, uh, Matin Stepanos de Bauger. Say that three times fast. 
Matin Stepanos to Balgar Mountain. Matin Stepanos to Balgar Mountain. Stepanos to Balgar. B plus. Thank you. <laughs> um, so Aviandas had a bit of post nut clarity. Her relationship of Rand is a little bit. I broke Eric. <laughs> it's true. It's true because like they're they're friendly. They're, yeah, they're they have talking, a little but, bit of a nicer. But they don't have like that kind of like intimate romantic relationship. Yeah, and and neither of and I mean I guess a big battle will kind of detract from your personal relationships. But uh, yeah, they're 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 just they're not as warm as I thought they were going to be post coitus. Yeah. So yeah, there's been a lot more. I wouldn't say like they're now best friends, but mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit more of a understanding. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe there's something about that too of you know, because I don't know where Avienda is coming from, but this was Rand's first, so I'm sure he's you know even if it's not on the page, I'm sure there's a bit of a mental, you know, breaking down what happened. Yeah. And also, again, the battle is at hand. You yeah. Know, this, this is probably some stressful times. and Emotions are heightened. Exactly. Um, so, uh, Melaine is with uh, Baal, her husband. Um, the clan chiefs, uh, Hairn, Mangan, and Royden. She's talking to all of them. And Rand kind of remarks that uh, Mangan, one of the clan chiefs, reminds him of Matt. Which is this fun little, like... So, okay, now I know why this... Even rereading this, even knowing who... Recognizing Weiramon's name, I'm like, hmm. His constant baiting of Rand to fight the Shido, that's very, uh... Mm, what are your intentions here? Mm-hmm. Like, he's constantly like, oh, we should attack. We don't have the people yet. We should attack. Mm-hmm. It's like, are you the uh, chief of chiefs here, bud? Or are you just some... Um, mustachioed Tyran Lord, my guy. So, a tower has been built by Kin Tover, the name of the person in the chapter title, and it's, uh, there's like spyglasses, and there Rand meets up with Egwene, Morin, and Land. Uh, Egwene says, I will help you out in the battle. We don't know, we're not told how, we can assume it's with the power, mm-hmm. but she is a little bit reluctant, and Moraine pokes at Rand a little bit by asking him why does he wear a sword. And he kind of just ignores that and continues climbing. Um, he sees uh, through a spyglass the Shido on a nearby hill with Kooladin in the group. And then he sees these giant spears come down and just like knock into the missing Kooladin. But it gets the message across. Right. Yeah. Uh and then Rand repeats his catch... The chapter ends with Rand repeating his catchphrase, I must be hard for what is to come. And that brings us to chapter 42, Before the Arrow. Chapter icon is Dice. And... You know what that means. Our little uh, idiot nephew. Yeah, buddy. He is vibing in his tent. You know, he's kind of like, you know what? I'm leaving... I'm not one for battles. This is Tavira nonsense. I'm out of here. Um, so he's like, I'm going to sneak away from Melindra tomorrow morning. Just let her know. Like, it's not personal. It's drag. Um, so he gets to Rand's tent and Asmodian's there. And they both have this, like, I don't like you all that much. <laughs> and then, um, let's see... Land, uh, he's looking at the... This was actually a really cool moment for Matt. 
he's looking at all the maps on the floor and as he's waiting for Rand, he begins to kind of go, wait, the way they have this set up, you can't do that. And Land comes into the room and they begin to have a more one-sided conversation where Matt's like, no, if you, he begins to strategize, his ancient memories are coming into play here. Now, this is the first time I think that Matt's memory, his, you know, his DNA is starting to become more tangible and kind of a part of this world because yeah. he's been kind of like fighting these memories. He's been getting like little shades of it here and there. And most of the time, even now, he's fighting it. Like yeah. he, he doesn't, he doesn't lean into it at all. No, because he's trying to avoid it as much as possible. But sometimes he finds reasons where he can't just not do it, as we see a little bit later in this set of chapters. Mm-hmm. So uh, Rand, uh, Matt finishes and Rand's there and he tells, Matt tells Rand, I'm leaving and Rand's like, all right. He literally just says like deuces. And you know, it's a little sad. I think Rand is in a sort of mindset of he's like, uh, he thinks later that they're eventually going to come back and I'm going to use them to survive the last battle. Um, but in the book, Rand says, uh, Rand's nod could have been understanding. Maybe it was. I'd forget saying goodbye to Egwene, were I you. I'm no longer certain how much of what I tell her. I might as well be telling Moraine or the wise ones or both. And Matt says, I reached that conclusion a long time ago. She's left Edmund's field further behind than either of us and regrets it less. So that's what I wanted to talk about. That, I think, is a brilliant piece of character writing. Yes. Because, A, uh, uh, I'm not mistaken, that's what Matt says to Yeah, Rand. Matt. It, it shows this depth to Matt that I think we kind of forget up to this point that he actually has. Um, you know, he can kind of be a little one-dimensional, he can be a little bit comic relief-y, a little bit. And we do forget, like, kind of the, the richness of their histories and their yeah. bonds. And he's spitting facts. Because when he said that, it made me take a step back and go... Oh, yeah, he's right. I I think, you know, out of everyone, yeah, Egwene is kind of the breakaway from Evans Field. She was warming the car while Lan and Moraine <laughs> were, like, still fighting Trollocs. She's like, let's go. Yeah, let's go. I'm sure that pierces Rand a little bit because I think yeah. there's, again, it's not on the page, but I think there's a realization that out of the group, I think Rand probably misses that life the most. Yeah. I think the sliding scale of who misses it the most, it's like Rand... Perrin, Nynaeve, Matt, Egwene. Agreed. Because I think, like, Egwene was always going to leave Edmund's Field. I think she was training to become the wisdom of another village. Mm -hmm. And really, there's nothing for her there. She has older sisters who will inherit the Wine Spring Inn. Mm -hmm. She's not going to be the wisdom anymore. She can channel. She can be a dream walker. At the very beginning, it was kind of thought that she and Rand were going to be kind of married by more tradition than, like, romance. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, no, it it does hit in a way. And I think it even foreshadows a little bit because I think I've I've kind of danced around it a little bit. I've I've made some hard predictions with Egwene. Uh, She's going to be our powerhouse, I think. Like, as far as, like, channeling as far as our like woman character i think as just like a strong female character yeah i think Egwene's gonna be in my top three when this is all wrapped up at the end mm. do you think this maybe could be also foreshadowing of maybe her turning against her friends 
I mean, you know, I, I really do think Egwene and Rand are going to come head-to-head at some point yeah. in some kind of way. So, yeah, it makes it all the more that believable that that could happen. It's a possibility yeah. that, especially with her potential, you know, all she's missing is the training and kind of the quote-unquote Bible of the Aes Sedai. Right. Because right now she's still just an accepted. Yes, she's just an accepted. Which in some cases, if she continues to only be an accepted, is far more dangerous because uh, you're not beholden to the three oaths until you become Aes Sedai, right? Yeah, so she can kind of do whatever she wants. Yeah, so at this point with her potential, she's extremely dangerous in the way that she has the utmost independence with the utmost power yes. of this group so yeah I, I i i see something maybe not bad happening but again i'm kind of i'm kind of hitting the gas on like Egwene or Rand are gonna have a showdown of sorts all right yeah uh so matt's pov ends with him leaving the tent and he sees the clan chiefs, the maidens, Weirmon and company waiting outside so yeah the tyran lords are being very pointedly like dicks towards the Aiel, like, they'll, like, cover their noses with handkerchiefs. It's like, okay, you let peasants starve to death. Like, let's... But we're starting to see that, like, the Tyrans and the Kyrianans don't get along. So it's like... It's a lot that Rand has to deal with. Yeah, we're getting a lot of set pieces that we're going to have to interact with. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Because we're going to have that strife, and we're going to have to address that in some way. Or it's going to be a complication down the line. Yeah. That's kind of what I foresaw. Um, But the dice rattle in Matt's head, which is a recurring thing that kind of means Matt has an important decision to make. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know where the dice are going to fall. And he goes that... um, Oh, it's probably having to sneak away from Melindra. And he walks away while whistling Jack of the Shadows, which is a recurring song. Mm -hmm. And so we switch to Rand's POV and we learn that uh, Rand knew Matt was going to his tent. So he sent Lan up to kind of get that information out. Because I think Rand has a bit of an idea of what Matt's abilities or what he got from the Twisted Door Frame. So again, we're starting to get into that theme of Rand going, I am going to use my friends, you know, for the greater good, yes, but... No, he's becoming a bit of a strategist, and he's becoming a bit of a user. Yeah. Uh, And, like, they're they're for good purposes, don't get me wrong, but there was something that kind of made my head cock in this section, Mm. and it's, you know, when we saw before Rand kind of becoming a leader, I was all for it, but there's a not dangerous but there's a manipulative element at play here yeah uh and i i think you know rand always had that in him but it's just coming out kind of now yeah we see it a lot more in his own uh sort of narration he says he hopes perrin as well that he and fayil are married and then the worst uh dramatic irony that perrin's family approves and i just wrote in my notes wah wah Oh man, if, if, if I was teaching high school literature and doing <laughs> vocabulary definitions, that's what I put under dramatic irony. Yeah, and it is. He does admit that like he hopes Perrin's happy, but because he knows he's going to pull them in, Perrin and Matt, uh, because he they need he needs Perrin and Matt to win the last battle. Mm-hmm. But he can tell that they are so far, like they are kind of like, we're done. And he's like, we're not done here. Yeah. Brand is the Chris Pratt of 
to Veer, and he just keeps coming back, and we don't want him. <laughs> you know, Rand strikes me like he's definitely becoming a bit of a leader, but I also see him a bit as a weaver and a composer. Yeah. He's starting to understand the tools and the instruments as singular items and starting to kind of use all of them yeah. for his for his goals and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a thing of Rand can kind of go, it's for the last battle, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like, no, I think... Rand feels a little isolated. Well, and the question I think is starting to present itself, do the means justify the ends? Yeah. What does it matter defeating the darkness if you have yourself become the darkness at the end? Yeah. I think that question is is starting to pop up now, and I think it's going to be one that's going to be explored kind of further in the next couple of books, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it is a thing of if... It's a just. It feels like a good deconstruction of like that grand hero where everyone's like, "Oh yes, we will be at your side." It's like, well, what if you? What do you do when they don't want anything to do with you? When they want to be away from you, but there is something in the universe at work that keeps them coming back to you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um. So Rand is in his tent and he commands Asmodian to play the March of Death. And, you know, gets the mood music going. And he's like, I want it to be so fucking sad. Everyone's crying. Fucking Spotify playlist sad. I know. Legit. He has Numb by Linkin Park. <laughs> uh, Bring Me to Life by Evanescence. Um, Just everything from the, from the early 2000s Daredevil Ben Affleck movie. Yeah. Ben Affleck. Just in general. He's ben Affleck for Asmodian. No, I'm kidding. No, David Tennant for Asmodian. Oh, I like that. Um, So he kind of knows that this conversation with everyone is just for ceremony. He's gone over these battle plans over and over. Uh, Luce Theron's thoughts creep in. Um, he thinks of the skirmishes that have been happening with the Andoran soldiers and says, like, yeah, no, he, whatever Samael is up to, it's got to be dealt with. But he doesn't know that this is exactly what the Forsaken are planning. He's kind of falling into their trap a little bit. Um, so Rand has some sense and he does not trust Wiramon, but he says that is a problem for another day. Um, and then it ends on a, I wrote in my notes, Rand, you good? He says tears were a luxury he could no longer afford, not even inside. UK? I he's we're we're seeing a bit of a transformation, I think. Like mm-hmm. we're seeing a real time, you know, we are I mean, quite literally and figuratively and metaphorically, we're seeing a boy become a man. Like yeah. in his, you know, sexual adulthood. You know, I I you know, virginity is such a construct and has so many layers of <laughs> You know, stuff down wine, but you know, representatively, there is an idea of like from child to adult. That's a big thing. Yeah. You know, kings and commanders, like your first battle, your first yeah. ruling. I, there's a lot of change that we're seeing. Because this is Rand's real first involvement in anything, really. Like mm-hmm. the, like. Anything Everything with... else has been, like, happenstance and, like, instinct. Yes. You know, Falm, even the first book with Fighting the Two Forsaken, there, there hasn't been a, a decision to act, you know, a, right. a plan to carry out. It was yeah. always just, we're going to fuck around and find out, I guess. Yeah, and now he's... Now the fuck, the find out is something more long-term. Mm-hmm. It's no longer... But also, 
you know, what's different? He doesn't have his best friends there. He doesn't have Moraine there. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have that sort of innocent knowledge of Aes Sedai can help. Mm -hmm. It's now a, there are forsaken after me. I'm hearing Luce Theron's voice in my head. There's a weight of burden now. Yeah, and it's, he's starting to crack. Yeah. And he's doing this with nine more books to go. (laughs) Uh, So then... Chapter 43, this place, this day. The chapter icon is the Aes Sedai symbol. Um, so, uh, Avienda left a little bit earlier uh, while he was lying awake. And he's kind of thinking about the battle to come. And mm-hmm. how he's like, if is was there something that I could have done differently with Kuladin to avoid this place this day? And he kind of go, and he thinks... Maybe next time. Yeah, it's it's a lesson learned. Yeah, and hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, I think you know, with the wheel of time constantly turning, it's like who knows? Next time, Rand is spit out. Yeah, maybe there is some sort of memory, but mm-hmm. I think it's this sort of thing of Rand is already thinking of his death. You know, there's it's his mental state is so worrying, where it's like no, no, live in the moment. Um, Drake said YOLO. <laughs> Relax. Um, so the clan chiefs come in and talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bale asks Rand if he's sure of what the maiden's assignment is. And we still don't know, but we kind of can piece. That's what Sulin was talking to. Uh, well, okay, so Sulin had spoken to the wise ones who in turn spoke to the clan chiefs about this supposed assignment that Rand has. Um... The clan chiefs leave, Land comes in. Moraine is unhappy because she has been tasked with healing and she isn't good at it. And Brand kind of goes, mm, maybe it's because you took Egwene from Moraine. And um, so Land and Rand talk. Rand, we find out why Rand is a little bit touchy about the sword is because he is going to kill Kuladin himself. And he, he says everything... That's happened now. It's cool. It is the fault of Kuladin's ambitions and his greed. And Lan kind of goes, you can't do that. It's the sort of lesson that Fael taught Perrin when, like, that sort of last surge of battle where he's like, I need to fight. She's like, no, they need a figurehead. Mm-hmm. You are an icon. Yeah, you are Perrin Golden Eyes. Well, and-, and even more so than the Rand side of things, I think this is kind of like a cool character piece for Lan, yeah. who is royalty himself he, he's uh, what's his title the forgotten king. uh the la uh the king of uh the last king of malkir yeah so I, I think there's like a really cool you know mentorship yeah like that is very reminiscent of like land's not teaching Rand swordplay at this point he's teaching them how to be a king and a leader yeah it's kind of cool to see yeah uh th- 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 this whole like especially these like next two chapters i think are probably the meatiest best battles of wheel of time so far yes in in my opinion oh they're fantastic you know and um i think like brand's got a little bit of training in carrying politics from moraine and then Mm -hmm. battle from land you know two very big players Mm -hmm. to have um so land essentially says you can't take that big of a risk just send some aiel out they will do it you're the car car and brand says i eventually have to start taking risks which, yes, but I feel like it's a lot of rants to sit where we just go, yeah, 
Time and a place, bud. Yeah. I I don't think it's like if you don't have to take the risk, you don't have to. But I think Rand, as we see a lot later, Rand has a lot of hangups about yes. people dying for him. Yeah. Um, so he goes outside and the maidens and Avienda and Egwene are waiting. So we find out that the maidens are guarding the tower where Rand will be, which they aren't super happy with, but he's the Karakarn, mm-hmm. you know. They're all uh, about duty. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's a little smaller thing. Egwene has to somewhat reluctantly admit that Rand is stronger than them. And I'm kind of like, wanted to ask you, do you think it's because she's freaked out about Rand being a male channeler? Or do you think it's about her not having the power that she thinks she should have? So I think at this point I can make my... uh one of my bigger predictions mm-hmm. I think I have for the series. I think Egwene's going to go to the dark side. Mm. I think she's a little power obsessed. I think, you know, she has potential. And I do think the idea of someone being better than her kind of irks her, especially yeah. a male channeler in this way, and especially of, you know, someone who they came from the same you yeah. know, cloth and everything. So, and she got to the power first. Exactly. That's, yeah. So I wouldn't, like a forsaken I, I wouldn't maybe like black aja maybe mm. like something like that i just i i could see at this point like i thought Egwene and rand would have a head-to-head and yeah. i thought they'd both be on the good side and it'd be kind of like a mercy kill out of rand like he's mm. going insane and she's like put him out of his misery or something i kind of see it as totally oppositional from oppositional sides at this point interesting and this was the first time i kind of saw that 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 there's some there, there's some motivation and emotions there that I, I think are going to fester over the next couple of books. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Lan kind of says this plan is for the best, and Rand agrees, and says, it, let Kool-Aidin come to him. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so, this is sort of an issue that is going to come into play more. Lan tells Rand that just because they carry shields... Like you can't, or spears, you can't not treat them that, like, you can't just view them as women. Like, and Rand has that issue a lot. Of, he, he does. He's, he's, a, he's a bit of a, uh, a chauvinist. Is that, little is that, bit. Is that it's, proper? Yeah, it's, it's a very um, old fashioned, like, mm-hmm. this, like, sort of thing. And it's kind of like you can't really have that mentality because you are um, leading an army. If you try to do the particulars of it all, it's going to do nothing except eat at you. Um, so, yeah, it, I think Rand's sort of, like, dependence on not making sure women get hurt is going to bite him in the ass, I think. Absolutely. Because I feel like you can only do that for so long before mm-hmm. it's like you're going to be put in a situation where you have to. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's just, like, a cultural disrespect there. Yeah. <laughs> that, that might come to a head. Yeah. So the reason why Avienda left Rand's tent was she wanted to be there with Egwene and Rand. Even though she's not a wise one yet, she wanted to be there. And the wise ones were just like, he brings change. Mm -hmm. The wheel weaves, bro. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) And so they go to the top of the tower and uh, Egwene and Avienda start the battle off with channeling a storm. Lightning bolts that just 
crash into the ground. And as dawn breaks, uh, this is all going on. And then Rand is channeling as well. He sends this gigantic ball of fire to melt one of the hills, like a really fucking strong amount. Mm -hmm. And in the void, he hears Luce there and cry out, Light, Ileana, forgive me. And that rattles him to such a degree that he has to, like, calm himself down. So I'm not sure if there's a correct answer here, but this is where I saw, this is where our title is. This is the fires of heaven. Oh, yeah. You have this lightning storm. You have this fucking fireball literally coming up. So, like, you know, quite literally fires of heaven. You've got this, you know, this image of divinity and destruction. And it's pulling us right back to the breaking of the world. Yeah. Like, if I'm not not mistaken, I, I think these are pretty much, like, the lines in the prologue of Eye of the World. When Luz Theron is breaking the world. Yeah. I mean, the, it, the prologue is after the breaking. And the breaking was a lot more, like, nuclear level, like, lands drifted apart, continental mm-hmm. shift, like, that big. But it's a sort of microcosm of that, I think. Mm-hmm. And they are sort of breaking the world a mm-hmm. little bit, you and know? And it's an echo. And Wheel of Time, yeah, thematically at least, Everything has echoes. A ton of echoes, yeah. Like like ages come and pass. And... <laughs> Wheel of Time is a cave in which things echo. I mean, my God, you can look at so many. Uh, like history tends to repeat itself, and mm-hmm. there's a reason why everyone is born again. It's like, you know, um, so the POV switches to um, Matt is on a. Pips, his horse, named after... I didn't know this. Pips are the things on dice. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you fucking nerd. <laughs> um, so casual. I know. The Aiel are making their way south to fight Kuladin. And, you know, his coat was cut by an Aiel arrow. And um, Matt, for all of his, I don't want to be involved in this. I'm done with this. He's, he's riding away when he sees the column of Kyrianin and Tyran soldiers... Unled by Wiramon because he was sent to Tyr to deal with the Ileana stuff by Rand. Because I think Rand might have had an idea, like, suspected Wiramon might try something. Yep. Yep. Well, and I think it's funny here, too. He's so desperate to leave. And in the way that he leaves, he finds himself exactly where he needs to be. Yeah. No. He can't escape it. It's so funny. I love... Okay... I'm going to tell them about the Aiel ambush coming, and then I'm leaving. And then it ends up, he speaks to uh, Darid, who leads the pikemen, and he says, okay, you guys know how to form a hedgehog? Yeah, cool, they're coming up, do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, we, so this is an introduction to a fan favorite character, Talmanis. Uh, or as they, he is commonly known, Talmanes. <laughs> We we get a lot of character introductions mm-hmm. uh, here, so I'm, I'm happy to get a little bit of context because I I had a bit of a hard time keeping them all separated at your, this point. Yeah, no, you're totally fine. Um, uh, Darid, who is the pikeman, is Tyran, Talmanis is Kyrianan, but uh, he's leading the Tyran, and so Matt tells him the plan. They split the army between them, 
and Matt rides into the thick of battle shouting in the old tongue, and I don't even know how to say it, Los Los Cabadrin, which means horseman forward. Um, and so that brings us to chapter 44, The Lesser Sadness. The chapter icon is the Dragon Banner. Um, Egwene and Alvienda have the benefit of tag teaming whenever they are exhausted. Brand is on his last legs, he's, essentially. He's pushing. he's pushing. Yeah. And he sees Shido. Um, he's trying to find the column of Weiramon's men. He doesn't know Matt's leading them, but he's like, I can't find them. He sees Shido attempting to get into Kyrian. And he channels, and he's like, I don't know who I killed. Like, I don't know if that was Shido. I don't know if those were innocent Kyrianans. He's a little bit losing control. And all of a sudden, a Saiyadine-made lightning bolt crashes into the ground near the tower and begins striking at maidens. And Rand immediately goes, oh, it's Asmodian. He did this shit. And then it's... Then the lightning bolt hits the tower. Rand is knocked unconscious as it collapses. Um, He kind of comes to... He sees Egwene and Sulin are injured, but he focuses on the maidens who lay dead. Which, like, he light. Which, it's he like, I... Yeah. Tried, and you can't prevent what's going to happen, which I think is another heavy theme in this series. Yeah. Shit happens. It is not your fault. Mm-hmm. They chose to come out and follow the car car, and you didn't personally tell them to. Mm-hmm. He focuses on a dead maiden named uh, Jolene, who the Wonder Girls had first met in The Dragon Reborn. She was with Avienda and all of them. She had gone to the Stone of Tear as well. And then Ran chastises himself for their deaths. And it's like, but you got to kind of just go... Time and place. Yeah. There, there are bigger fish to fry right now. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> Pour one out for the dead... Uh, for the maidens. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So he can feel the Sidene lightning kind of go westward. And he, so he goes, Samael. I think this is Samael trying to kill one of Matt, one of, uh, not Matt, I promise that wasn't a Freudian slip. Because <laughs> the plan was someone close to Rand will die. Mm-hmm. I think they were trying to kill Egwene. Mm-hmm. So then Rand would abandon the battle and let Matt die, let Moraine die, you know. Yeah, and whether or not, like, Rand is predictable, which I think is a conversation on its own. There, there is, or, or no, sorry, uh, whether they have spies and kind of know what's going on, Rand is predictable and he does find comfort in his closest people. Yeah. So it absolutely makes sense that they would target near Rand to try to like, you know, strike close to the heart, even yeah. if it wasn't him, you know, break the man before they break the body. I know you don't trust Melindra and you think she's, and you know, she's a dark friend. Yeah. Do you think she's a spy for Samuel, or do you think she's just of a different breed? I, I think it's somebody we don't know yet. Okay. I, I, I think, you know, especially just like in the last couple of chapters, uh, and in this one, because uh, I've got names here <laughs> that are like, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's so many people we don't know, and so many people it could be. Yeah. Uh, Melindra, like, yeah, probably. You know, nothing would surprise me at this point. There's, yeah. There's so much right now. <laughs> oh, it's so much is happening right now. And, you know, we're primed for a big reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aemon comes forward and tells Rand that four of the clans in the east are starting to move together. 
Rand isn't sure whose side they're on. So he calls for his horse, and Egwene and Avienda are like, bro, you're injured. And he's like, gonna do it anyway. And he notes that Egwene is also very injured, but both of them are really fucking stubborn. And one would have to admit it to the other. And so they begin to ride off towards Kyrian. And so then we switch to Matt. Um, So this is post-Log Tower collapse. Um, He has 3,000 men with him. He's kind of caught the Shido, but now he's like, he doesn't have a secure location. Mm -hmm. And a hill catches fire nearby. and He's like, oh shit, it's channeling. And um, a funny little quote from Matt. Never upset a woman who could channel. That was a rule Matt seldom managed to follow, but he did try. <laughs> I love that. I love Matt's little, like, his little quips. Again, his his intentions and what actually happens are far from close to each other. <laughs> yeah. Because I love Matt's, like, oh, no. I think, like, Matt's the epitome of, I was going to do it anyway, but then you told me to do it, and now I don't want to do it. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Matt suspects... Uh, Samuel, when he hears noise behind him, he thinks like, oh shit. But it's Easton, uh, Nailson, uh, two guys he used to gamble with in Tyr, uh, Darid and Talmanis. Mm-hmm. And they tell him that 5,000 Aiel are coming this way and Kuladin is in the group, as luck would have it. So Matt sends off um, Nailson and Talmanis to go north and south to kind of attack from the rear. Uh, we learned that Talmanis was singing Matt's praises, and Darren says Talmanis really never says that about anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of tells Matt, like, don't be an idiot. Don't try to duel. Cool it in. Um, and so Matt, uh, Matt's POV ends with a plan to go, okay, when they get close, we're going to lure Cool it in by going, protect the Lord Dragon. So it's a very again, Matt's very smart. I think he's smarter than he wants to he's, give himself credit. He's crafty. He's clever. Yeah. And and sometimes that craftiness and cleverness really has some depth to it. Yeah. And it's funny too because this doesn't feel like an echo of his past lives or, yeah. or any of that. This feels very Matt. This yeah. feels very clever <laughs> Matt in the flesh as we know him. This is here. the where other battles have been a regular uh, taco. Matt is the Doritos Locos Taco of the Third Age. Here we go. <laughs> Matt is the Crunchwrap Supreme of Third Age. Um, but also, Matt and Talmanis, a very popular ship Ship oh. next to Matt and Rand. I can see it. Um, so, uh, we switch to Rand's POV. I feel like every time we switch to Rand's POV, it's like another, like... <sighs> Pour one out for Rand or have a shot, because Buddy is not doing well. So he and Egwene and Avienda are scanning the countryside, and one of Luz Theron's thoughts come across his head, and it says, Are you still so jealous of me, Taljanen? When did I ever slight you or give you one finger less than your due? And he's kind of like, his thoughts and Luz Theron's thoughts are starting to blend together. Mm -hmm. And, um... He, Luz Theron speaks again when Rand thinks of, like, how the last time they dealt with Samuel, which was Balefire, and Luz Theron goes, Balefire mustn't use that, threatens the fabric of the pattern, not even for Ileana. I would burn the world and use my soul for Tinder to hear her laugh again. Um, And so 
it's nighttime. I just wrote in my notes, it's nighttime. <laughs> and then we have another oof quote. For a moment, he could not remember his name. Randall Thor, he said aloud. For an instant, that name sounded strange to him. I am Randall Thor, and I need to, I need to see. Rand is starting to dis- dis- disassociate as well. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much shit that I'm like, Rand, go home. Just go to the two rivers. Be with Perrin and his puppies. Oh, if only. I know. Rand channels a ball of blue light, and he sees that uh, Eggy and Avienda aren't there, and haven't been there for the past two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, Sulin says, yeah, the wise ones want to talk to you. Like, yep. we're starting to see, like, Rand, he's starting to lose himself a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes back, he sees the wise ones talking, Moraine is healing those she can, and Asmodian is on uh, water duty. And um, Asmodian goes to Rand and says, what happened? And Rand says, uh, Samuel, Rand said, but not an answer. He was just speaking the thoughts that drifted through the void. I remember when he was first named Destroyer of Hope, after he betrayed the gates of Havon and carried the shadow down into the Rorn Medoy and the heart of Satel. Hope did seem to die that day. Kulin Kuan wept. And Asmodian just looks horrified. And it makes me wonder, because from what we know of Asmodian's backstory, he never was, like, involved directly with fighting Luz Theron. I feel like he probably heard who Luz Theron was, but he was probably like... No, he's very mid-tier. Yeah, he's very like, I'm writing my silly little songs somewhere and doing evil things. Um, And we also learn it's done. Um... The uh, four clans that Rand was a little worried about, they're now on Rand's side. Um, and the chapter ends with Rand finally releasing Sidene and passing out from exhaustion. Yeah, so we get into it here, but how do you feel about how Cooladin wraps up? I mean, there is like, there's a satisfaction that we don't have. Yeah. I think because I think there is, there was a desire in me to, to have Rand and Gulliden kind of show down and stuff. Yeah. But that's, that's not how it happens. That's not life. And it's probably the better for it because there still is a hope or an innocence in Rand that is preserved because of that. Because yeah. he only sought him out by like revenge more than anything. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a dark motive. It wasn't a, you know, duty's sake. It was very much a, a reactive you know, if I couldn't have stopped this at the start, I want to end this at the end. Yeah. So it makes sense, too, because uh, it, it ends up being Matt, no? Mm-hmm. And I think it makes sense on a narrative level because now Matt is roped in a little bit more. Yeah. His reputation is going to blow up. He's going to be the commander that came in, had this plan, did this bit. And again, the thing he's trying to run away from just pulls him in deeper. Exactly. And I love the moment where it's a little earlier. Matt says he was sent by Rand to help the army. And they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, buddy, you it, didn't have to say all that. It furthers the cause. Yeah. And he doesn't even intend to do it. It just naturally, it's just that Tavirin thing that happens. Yes. So we get to chapter 45, After the Storm, chapter icon, the Kyrian and Sun. I got so tired of typing Kyrian in my notes because it's the entire fucking episode. I just wrote, like, sun place. 
Um, and did you have the red under, underline the whole time? Yes. Of like, hey, this is wrong. This is this is nothing, bud. Anytime I do Wheel of Time notes, it's all red lines. <laughs> there are a lot of proper uh, uh, original nouns and names in here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Certain combinations of letters that Robert Jordan loves. Uh, so it's mid-morning. Um, the Aiel, the Tyrans, the Kyrianans are celebrating all together. Mm-hmm. Kulidin's head is tied to a pole in the middle of the camp. And this is where, so where, Egwene, uh, no, Nynaeve has a couple of iconic quotes. The quote we discussed in the last episode where men always thought to solve things with violence. If Nynaeve, ha- Nynaeve had a stout stick, she would have thumped them across the soldier, uh, thumped them across the so- shoulders with it. We get Matt's, this is Matt's iconic quote. Like you think of Matt, you get this. A celebration of still being alive. One more time they had walked under the Dark One's nose and survived to tell the tale. One more dance along the razor's edge finished. Almost dead yesterday, maybe dead tomorrow, but alive, gloriously alive today. Ranga, uh, Matt got pretty beat up in the battle, but, you know, he's chill. And uh, Matt, uh, they're, everyone is singing Jack of the Shadows, which Matt taught while he was being, like, tended to by uh, Deered, and he's not happy. And uh, Sus Queen, Melindra, comes up and says, you're carving your way out of Rand's shadow. And like, oh, oh. And she gives uh, Matt some brandy, which I think is Usquai. I think. Cannot be sure. Uh, Talmanus approaches uh, and tells Matt that a delegation from Kyrian came to announce a triumphal procession for Rand. And so Matt goes, Will there, and he's thinking about Melindra. Uh, he goes, Will there, she had to have duties of some sort. The maidens were always flocking around Rand. Maybe she would be called off for that. Glancing at her, though, he did not think he had better count on it. Her wide smile was propi- proprietary. Again, she is not really putting on the best face. We're like, girl. Nah, she, she ain't slick. Um, so Nailson joins them and says it was the Tyran Lord uh, Malin who offered it, and then on the Kyrianan side, it was Lord Dobrain, Lord Maringill, and Lady Colavere, who also came for Rand. These are names that you can just know now when they become more important. They'll pop up, and I'll get more acquainted yeah. with them. Again, a lot of new names in this grouping. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, Matt asks uh, why he's being told this, and they say, well, you should tell Rand because you killed Kool-Aidin. You sh- We should lead. And Matt says, no, I don't want that. Melindra's hand, like, tightens on the back of his neck. I'm like, this thing, like... <laughs> and it's Matt's, Matt's worst nightmare because they're like, no, you're our general. And we pledge ourselves to you. You are a general. You led these armies. And um, a strange thing is Matt sees Moraine and Land arguing and... Uh, Moraine rides away and Lan just stays on the hill watching Matt and we get a POV ending with a remix of the Jack of the Shadows verse we'll toss the dice however they fall and snuggle the girls be they short or tall then follow young Matt whenever he calls to dance with Jack of the Shadows and I did a little bit of digging this is based off of the song Jack of the Shadows the tune of it is akin to Gary Owen which is a song, an Irish song used by Cus- General Custer 
who founded the 7th Cavalry Regiment. And I think Robert Jordan might have been in it. We find Rand in his tent. He is naked. He has been healed by Moraine. And Avienda is really unhappy with that because she's like, you should never have left after you fell from the log tower. And she says, a man may behave like a fool sometimes and little is worse for it. But a chief must be more than a man and the chief of chiefs more still. You had no right to push yourself near to death. Egwene and I tried to make you come with us when we grew too tired to continue, but you would not listen. You may be as much stronger than we as Egwene claims, yet you are still flesh. You are the Karakarn, not a new uh, Seydun seeking honor. You have toe obligation to the Aiel Randalthor, and you cannot fulfill it dead. You cannot do everything yourself. Which is very true, and I think Rand's been told this so many times, but... It just seems to go in one ear out the other. Yeah, she feels like kind of the voice of reason in what the reader is feeling and thinking. At least when yeah. I, because when she said that, I was just like, mm, no lies detected. Exactly, because I think it's like we're seeing someone push themselves to the very brink of... Rand could have killed himself with Sidene. One wrong move, and that would have been it. And I think it's like... I think he just has this in him that he he cannot let anyone else shoulder the burden and it's like you can't do that bud mm-hmm. um and like rand acknowledges this and um we get a little bit more about the four clan chiefs they're camped within sight of each other but they're still talking about the wise ones and we learn Aguilena's replaced Moraine as the Aes Sedai sort of spokesperson within the Aiel. Yeah, very which, interesting. <laughs> yeah, everything with Aguilena, you're just like, it's just like a, of course she did. Oh, we're just going to put that in our back pocket. Yeah, and of course Aguilena probably went, sure, yeah, work. Just all for it. Yeah. Um, and it's a funny, it, there's like a little funny bit of um, the wise, the clan she used to want to meet with the Aes Sedai who follows the Karakarn, and Egwene was pulled from her blankets, and Egwene, and Avienda said, this made Avienda laugh. She had been outside with uh, Soriella and uh, Bayar when Soriella and Bayar practically dragged Egwene from her tent, trying to pull on her clothes while they hustled her along. I called to her that she would have, would have to dig holes in the ground with her teeth this time if she had been caught in a misdeed. And she was so sleepy she believes me. She began protesting that she would not. So hard that Soriella began demanding what she had done to think she deserved to. You should have seen Egwene's face. She began to laugh so hard that she nearly toppled over. I yield humor, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he Rand asked about the Shido. Avienda says they're not a threat. But um, Rand still kind of considers them a threat. Rand learns that Matt killed Coolden. And Avienda's like, I'd like to meet the third of you. I'd like to meet Perrin. Um, so the sun is coming. Yeah, I'd like oh, to see him too. <laughs> that would be very interesting. Um, a parent Fayil meeting Avienda yeah. meeting is a very interesting dynamic, especially Gaul and Bane and Chiat, who have been sort of two rivers yeah, a little bit. Been gone for a second. Yee. Um. So Rand kind of says, "So Samuel didn't try to kill me. The sun's up. He could have done it, and he kind of has a memory that." Samuel's actual name is Tel Janin Alansar, and that he embraced the name of Samuel for so long that, like, no one really knows that except for Rand. Like, mm. the uh, Aes Sedai in Tarvalon, even the oldest books, they contain scant amount of information. And, um, 
we learn Asmodian's real name is Joar Adam Nisosin. And so with that knowledge, it makes me wonder if it was a little blip that Moraine knew about Bilal and Samuel in The Dragon Reborn. Because it's like, if Rand is confirming that there's very little information on the Forsaken, how did Moraine know? Yeah, Moraine's an OG. She's got resources and ways of knowing things that aren't even apparent to the reader yet. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, like, she is our main... She's our main Aes Sedai. Yeah. She, she knows things that just the others don't. And whether that's, like, happenstance or, like, her own cunning, she still is and always will be kind of top Aes Sedai for me. Yeah. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. So, Rand says uh, he'll have vengeance for the Dead Maidens, but he's going to be smart and not go after Samael. He said... Sending Weirimon will be the start. I have to clear things up in Kyrian. Yep. And he starts playing some mind games. Oh, yeah. So, um... Avienda accidentally lets it slip that Lord Malin came to the camp, and we get the sort of thing that Matt heard about is the High Lords came to the camp wanting to see Rand. They got turned away. And, uh... Malin said that he was giving Kyrian in to Rand and swearing fealty, and Rand goes... The louder a man tells you he's honest, the harder you must hold on to his purse. So, I mean, there's no really, uh, there's no trust with the Tyrion Lords. Because Rand kind of says, I sent them thousands of miles away and here I am back in their influence, essentially. Um, then a dozen Kyrian and lords and ladies arrived on horseback and you know, kept their hoods up, you know, tree killers. Mm-hmm. Um, among them were Lord Dobrain, Lady Colavere. Um They kind of, in their Kyrianan way, said, we want to give the Sun Throne to Rand. But Rand says, I'm saving it for someone else. And so, do you think, do you know who the, he's saving it for? Or No idea, but I think he's going to appoint, you know, an Aiel Trusted person uh i'm sure there's an obvious choice that i've overlooked mm-hmm. but i think i think he's you know he's maneuvering he's playing these political games oh yeah um who it is no idea but i think it was very smart that he's not assuming power yes he's kind of building his cabinet mm-hmm. so the chapter ends with him planning a grand procession before malin was gonna do it because mm-hmm. he's like no he doesn't hold the power here yep we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna take him by surprise. We're gonna make it our show. Yeah, his little parade. <laughs> so, uh, chapter forty six: other battles, other weapons. The chapter symbol is the Aes Sedai. So, Avienda's like, "You're not leaving," and um, she says, "If you try to leave, I'll bring in um, Inalia, Somara, and Lamel." And he's like, oh, not them. They're the ones that treat him most like a child. Mm -hmm. Because he says the maidens either treat him like a little brother or a son. Mm -hmm. And he says one of them tried to cook him soup and it was the worst thing he'd ever had. And so Rand, being the stubborn bastard that he is, says, I'm going anyway. And Avian says, fine, find your clothes and then we can go. Rand manages to find a sword and he sees Avienda sitting on his clothes. And he tries. It's cute. It's a cute little scene. It's It's fun. It's it's cute. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, Team Rand heads out. Um, Asmodian is no longer the Bannerman. A man named Pevin 
is now. Uh, Pevin just kind of lost everyone in the conflicts that had happened. Um, and so we get a little interesting thing going on now. Ran sees the captured Shido, and he sees other Aiel and Gai Shan who are wearing a headband with the Aes Sedai symbol, and they call themselves Siswa Aman, which means Spear of the Dragon, and they believe that because they follow Rand, the debt to the Aes Sedai from so long ago is now paid. It's really interesting, especially because it's a sore subject among the wise ones, and now that the prophecy of Ruidian has been spread around a lot more, um, a lot of people think Rand's going to kill them in endless dances of the spear uh, a sac as a way to atone for their sins. Some think that the bleakness is kind of just chipping away at the weak Aiel uh, before the last battle. Um, some people say that um, the Aiel are Rand's dream and that when Rand dies, the Aiel will be no more. So do you think there's anything with these uh new sort of genre of aiel or do you think it's just kind of like uh no it's definitely setting up something big i mean it feels like you know it almost feels like the dragon's personal guard <laughs> yeah of ways i mean they're they're the people that have been there during this big thing so it's def there's definitely something bigger bubbling like it's going to be a conflict between them and the maidens maybe exactly because the maidens hold rand's honor because of rand's mother yep but when you're kind of this new remix of the Aiel, it's yeah, a little things, bit different. Things are going to come to a head again. Like, we're breaking factions into more factions. Yeah. And that's not going to play well. Because Rand is ultimately going to do a remnant of a remnant with the Aiel. Mm -hmm. So who knows who will survive? The Spear of the Dragon or the Maidens? Yep. Uh, so then they ride by, ride by Haddon and Kadir, who Rand is surprised to see is still here. Uh, Moraine is standing by and inspecting the wagon with the door frame to Rangriel, and she ignores Rand, essentially. Um, and, like, a little, again, some fun dramatic irony. He's like, I wonder where Asandra went. The maidens have, like, torn her his wagon apart trying to find her, and I'm like, well. If only you knew. <laughs> it's very, like, <laughs> Um so they arrive in the city and there is a parade there the people of Kyrian are there and everyone just kind of looks real rough i mean the civil war has really uh taken a toll and i'm it's sure the tier and and i'm sure the tier and lords oh. with the constant fighting between the andorans it's not been good yeah, you know there's a lot of personal vendetta here oh and yeah i think we're seeing that reflected almost like a portrait of dorian gray here yeah. like everyone from the top you know it's been affecting them sure but you actually see how it's been affecting the community yeah. and, and the people they're supposed to serve it reminds me of that scene in princess bride where it's like the one person in the crowd goes boo, boo. that's what i feel when uh the tier and lords joined brand's procession and they're pissed that he's there but he notices, like, the crowd's cheer just stops when he sees the Tyrion Lords. And, again, it's a power play. I think Rand kind of knew probably precisely what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He knew that, like, he's going to be the figurehead of all of this. Yeah. No, that, that was a bit of a quarterback play. I think he knew exactly what he was planning and what he was doing. He Ted Lassoed that. Bingo. <laughs> um, so then he does another power play. By he greets the other tier and lords, some very warmly, a couple very coldly. Keeping them on their toes. Yeah, and he said, like, 
now he's there's going to be back and forth of wait he greeted them coldly is there something there but he wait he did this you know like so he decided to let play the game against him mm-hmm. um he gets into the throne room and he says i don't want to sit on the sun throne that's for someone else and he thanks the tier and lords for their service and says um only one dragon banner will fly and put the Kyrianen banners back up, and the Kyrianens are very happy about that. Um, again, he makes Moraine proud by having the lords and ladies sort themselves by rank, and he meets the Kyrianen lords and ladies, Malin, Colavir, Dobrain, Aracom, and he's like, Moraine would would be happy with this, and then lose there and goes, Yeah, that's great. I would love if in the show... Luz Theron, the actor, just kind of appears in the background, like kind of mixed in with the crowd as like a fun, like a, oh, yikes. Just that madness becoming ever so present. Yeah. And so um, he said, the chapter ends with Rand saying, he'll chill on Kyrian and then go after Samuel. 